You'd think by the time we got to the end of Job, chapter 42, we would have some answers. But nope. So, uh, the title of today's message is, If We Never Know Why. So, what, what we've been in, in case you're, you're new to this, we have, uh, we're finishing up a, a six-week series on the book of Job called Pieces. And uh, just as a really like a 60-second review here, chapter 1, um, we see that Satan is allowed to take everything from Job, including his 10 kids, all of his possessions, his land, everything is gone. And Job bows down and worships the Lord. And then chapter 2, Satan is allowed to afflict his health. And he's in pain and misery, and there's no end in sight. And uh, after all of that, his wife tells him, just curse God and die. It's just all is miserable, and it's never getting better. And we, we will find at the end of, end of chapter 2 that, that he says, hey, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we look at that, and we're just astounded at the rock-solid faith that he seems to have in the Lord. And then his friends come to comfort him. And they did a great job for how many days? Seven days, right? Because they shut up. And they didn't try and fix anything. They just sat with Job. And they grieved with Job. And then they spend the next 20 or 25 chapters trying to explain to Job why all of this is happening. And that's why they got in trouble. Because you don't know why it's happening. Right? I mean, we can identify stupid a lot of times. But sometimes we just don't know what God is doing in someone's life, and we should just be quiet. And then you have Job. (laughs) This is when we start to realize, okay, Job is human. Then you have Job crying out to God, saying, all right, enough's enough. I want a face-to-face meeting with you. I want you to explain to me why all this is happening and how this is fair, because the scales are not balancing. And after a long monologue, we see that God responds, and God speaks with Job, and that takes us all the way to the end of chapter 41, and at the beginning of Job, Job chapter 42, we see Job's response after all of this, after everything God is saying, and he says this in chapter 40, and and I'm sorry, I don't have it up on the screen, it was just a little bit too much, but if you have your Bible, it's Job chapter 42. It's, in the, it's really about the center of your Bible. So if you happen to have a Bible with you, it's, you if you turn it dead center, it's probably going to give you Psalms, and then you go back one book to the book of Job. If you, have your, if you have a phone app, it might be a little bit easier for you, but it's in the Old Testament. And it says this, the first six verses of Job 42. This is after God gets done speaking. Job says, he, and Job answered the Lord and said, verse 2, I know that thou canst do everything and that no, no thought can be withheld from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. <laughs> He's like, I was just talking about stuff that I didn't know what I was talking about. Been there. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye seeth thee. I heard some stuff about you, but I had no idea, God. I had no idea. And then here's his response in verse 6. Wherefore I abhor myself. And repent in dust and ashes. 
So this is the same guy that was saying, all right, God, explain yourself to me. God never gave him any answers. And after God gets done talking, Job just says, I got nothing. I repent. I don't have any way to respond to who you are and what you've told me. As most of us have discovered, we don't always get through difficult times with a clear-cut answer as to why it happened. Sometimes we do. Like sometimes you get done with what you've been through and you're looking back going, oh, I can see that if that hadn't happened, then this wouldn't have happened. That's how I got here today. Or that caused this to make me who I am and that's what I needed in my life. So we can sometimes look back on tragedy or suffering or pain and say, that's why. But folks, that's not as frequent as we would like. And we feel like everything has to make sense to us at some point in our life. And as we look at the book of Job, we see here in, in later on in, in chapter 42 that God blesses Job. And he gives him actually more than what he began with. And we kind of feel like, oh, yeah, see, well, now the scales are balanced, but, but he still lost his 10 kids. And you and I have the advantage of being able to pull the curtain back in chapter 1 and see what's going on up in heaven as to why all of this happened and pull the curtain back in chapter 2 and see what God is trying to teach Satan about this incredible individual Job. But Job didn't have that advantage. Job just went through it two-dimensionally like all I see is my suffering. But we never see that Job gets an answer for all of the suffering. Yes, he gets stuff back, but he doesn't get his kids back. Billy Graham said this, comfort and prosperity have never enriched the world as much as adversity has. And this is kind of taking us where where I'd like to go with all of this. Because whatever... Whatever your old life was before the suffering, that's never happening again, okay? That's, this is where you were, and this is where you are. And, and what we want to know <laughs> is that me not being that anymore was worth being this. Like what God did to move me off of this tile, to move me over to here, was for my good or for somebody else's good or did this in my life and everything makes sense now and I feel much better because this life is so much better than this life. But how many of us are more like, I don't really get it, so I'm not here yet. Like I know this is where I am, but like I just can't do this. And be okay where I am. Like I have to keep. But it's not what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Last week I said that you have a new normal now. And when you go through what you go through. And you've experienced what you've experienced. And the pain has affected you. And the suffering has caused you to think differently about life. Yeah. It, you're not the same person. You, you have a new normal now, but here's the mistake that we make. We think that the new normal is not as good as what the old normal was. 
So let, let, let's think through this. Very, very, very simple thoughts today. And as we think through this, ask yourself this question. How good is your life? How good is it like right now? So this is a thought process that I would love for you to walk with me. Really, how good is your life? Are you, are you earning what you thought you would be earning? Is your retirement account what you anticipated? Is your spouse what you thought they would be? Don't answer that out loud. That was a very dangerous, awkward silence. Did you dream about something for your life that has never happened? Do you feel like your abilities and your potential has been wasted? Do you feel like where you are in life is not as good as what you thought? All right, let's just, let's, let's do the, the glasses half full. Are you where you think you wanted to be? Are you enjoying the life that you've been given? Do you have a good relationship with your spouse? Okay, so here's where I'm going. What do you base that on? So here's, here's my next thought. Like, what are you basing that on? Like, yeah, Eric, I've got a really good life. Compared to what? What metrics are you using to measure that you have a good life? Okay? Are you, are you tracking with me? So, like, we have decided that we have a good life or a bad life, or our life is not what we wanted, or it's more than we could have ever have hoped. Whether you're a pessimist or an optimist or what, what, whether you have experienced incredible pain and suffering and disregard and injustices in your life, whether you've experienced all of that. So now here you are, where you are, the life that you have right now, this is your new normal, is it a good life? Based on that answer, whether you say yes or whether you say no, my question is the same. What are you measuring that with? How do you measure whether or not your life is good or whether your life is bad? Where did you get the idea that if you had this much, you'd feel better? Or if she was more like this, you'd have a better marriage? Or if you had this much in that account, or if I was doing this for a living? So here's... Here's the truth about where I'm going with these, and that is that the best that we can do is imagine what we think a good life looks like and then compare our life to that metric that we have created. Does that make sense? Like, like we have decided from somewhere, maybe you saw it in a Disney movie or the Hallmark Channel. I'm not going any further. I got in so much trouble for that one. We have decided based on something we read or something we've been told that this is what it takes to be happy in life. And so we now have that as a measurement in our brain of what it's going to take. You've seen the articles, you know, how much do you need to save to retire comfortably? Well, there's a nice general term. Ten things you men wish their spouses knew about men. There's really only like two or three. 
I'm just saying, we want a hug and a hamburger, right? 507 things you never knew about your wife. And we, that list keeps growing. But where do we get the idea that, that if this was my life, I would be content or happy or full of joy? Where do we come up with that measurement? Who gave you that metric? Who, where did that come from? So, so here's that, that, that's the bait, and here's the set and the hook, okay? Here's where I'm going with all of that. God knows what is the best version of your life. All right? So if the best that I can do is imagine what I think a good life looks like, That is not a good metric to measure my life's goodness on. So as I'm standing over here on this tile of life, and this is my normal, and God shifts my normal to something else through suffering or pain or sorrow or difficulty, I resist that because it takes me off of what I have determined a good life to be, and it requires me to accept the fact that my new life, my new normal, was something that God wanted to write into my story. And I have a problem with that. Because I'm the one that determines what I feel a good life looks like. Although you can imagine what your life should look like and what you want your life to become, we don't know what God knows. Because he knows what's on the other side of all of this. So here's the truth. God always writes a better story for our lives than we write for ourselves. And I mean better. Like, we, <laughs> this is where, this is the tower we're on. This is the life that we, all right? It's hard to see this as better. And I don't, and I just want to be honest with you. This is your friend, not your pastor. I don't know why God did what he did. And I don't know why God allowed what he did. And I don't know what that jerk did and why he did it, but it happened. Right? So I'm not up here saying that I get this. I'm not saying that I can explain it. I'm just saying that God knows how to write a better story for yourself than you do. Aren't you glad for that truth? So here's the possibility. The possibility is that you can learn to love the life you have. Not just regret the life you had. So it's possible that if God was, is writing your story, and there are some chapters in there you would have left out, and maybe he had to make some adjustments because somebody's a jerk. Or things didn't turn out the way that you wanted. Hey, then, then let's learn to love the life that we have because he's still God. Chapter 42, verse 12 says this, The Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. And that's beautiful. That's like, yes, okay. So, so after the story was written, you get on the other side of all of this, and he has 10 kids now. He has twice as many possessions, twice the camels, twice the sheep, twice everything. And I think that, yeah, I mean, <laughs> logically I'm thinking like, like 
two is better than one, right? So twice as many camels has got to be better than half. But his kids are still gone. And he still went through what he went through. So I'm thinking, I still don't get it, God. Like, I'm with Job on this one. Like, tell me how you're balancing the scales here, God. But the question may not be what you get or what you get back. The question may be, what will you become? And maybe the reason that what you are right now and the life you have has the potential of being better is because you could not have become who you are supposed to be if you had stayed here. And the relationship that you get to enjoy with the Lord has the potential of being better and enhanced because of where you are now. So what? So where do we, so where do we go with this? Let me, let me give you a couple things here and we'll wrap up. First of all, realize that you don't know, okay, yet. You don't know yet. So, so why did all this happen to Joe? Why is this happening to you? Why, and you fill in the blank of where your heartache is. I can give you a long list. And a lot of you break my heart when I hear your stories. But why, and then fill in, I don't know. My, my answer is we don't know yet. Like we, so what I'm saying is, you, there will come a day when you handle this better than you are right now. You're like, well, thank you. Like it may not be right now. Like you may still really handle this poorly, okay? But there will come a day when you handle this better and there will come a day, I believe this, that it'll all make sense. I don't know when that's gonna be. And that's the rub. That's the, that's the problem. We don't know when this is going to feel better. We don't know when we're going to understand it. We don't know when the why is going to happen. It probably won't be as soon as you want it to be. I'm just here to encourage you this morning. But it will happen. So, see, okay, Eric, all right, so I'm going to find out eventually, well, what do I do now? Don't do anything stupid, okay? We tend to make stupid decisions, when we're trying to figure out the reasons for things. So don't do anything stupid and, and, and believe what you know about God in this, in this time frame. He's a good father. He loves you enough to willingly kill his son. To have a relationship with you that's a lot of love. So that's, that's where he's at with this. So to him, this relationship is incredibly important. So believe what you know about God. Don't do anything stupid and then be okay with not knowing right now. Like just you have to be okay with not knowing right now. You don't know yet. Another so what here, like what do we do with all of this is um, center your life on the life giver. So here's what Paul said in Romans chapter eight, verse 18, he said, for I reckon, don't you love that? He was from Southern Israel. (laughs) Paul's writing to the, Paul's writing to the Christians in Rome and he says, I reckon that the sufferings 
of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now that's a lot of words, but check out what he's saying here. The word reckon in the, in the Greek, which, which was the, the original language that this would have been written in, is the same word that we get logical. So he's saying if you logic through this, so he just got done telling us all of these sufferings that he's experienced. He's just got done through in Romans chapter 8 telling us all the hardship that he's been through. And he said, I reckon, I, I logic through this, and I've come to the conclusion that all of the suffering that I have experienced does not even compare, can't, is not even worth considering is what he's saying to the glory that I will experience one day. When does that happen? When I get to heaven? Okay. So here's the thing. Like, so, so I said, you're not going to know yet, but one day you will. And so when you get to heaven, ask him then. So write it down. Why did this happen to me? Stick in your pocket. Make sure it gets in your casket so it goes to heaven with you. And then when you get to heaven, take out your list and say, here's some things I would like to know about. What Paul is saying is you're going to look at that list and go, it's not even worth talking about right now. Like the glory that I'm going to experience is not even worth comparing to the suffering that I experienced here on earth. When we focus on the life giver, it changes our perspective of what we're going through. It's not about all this stuff that we have. It's not even about how they wronged you or they should be punished. In the end, and for all of eternity, it's about our relationship with Jesus and us getting to become more like who he wants us to be. I love what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 30. He said, give me neither poverty. (laughs) Everyone's like, here, here. Nor riches. Wait, what? Solomon, right? The wisest man that ever lived. He said, God, don't give me poverty. I'm with you, Solomon. Or riches. You're on your own. (laughs) Feed me with food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you, saying, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my Lord. What he's saying is like, like, don't give me so much that I don't feel like I need you, but don't give me so little that I'm going to curse you. So what he's saying is that somewhere in there, somewhere in there is this happy place where I need to be with you, God. And that's different for everybody. But looking through the eyes of the American dream, that prayer seems very weird because we are the land of opportunity and entrepreneurship. And I love all of this. But we don't understand the benefit or the potential benefit of maybe having just enough and then using all the extra to advance the kingdom of God. And when what part of my life is being used to advance the kingdom of God? Like, I'm not even talking about percentages here. But we are consummate consumers. And we feel like everything God gives to us is ours to determine what to do with it. And we get to spend it and invest it however we want to. And God doesn't care. We act like Christian atheists. 
And yet God blesses us with so much. And it takes so little for us to question him. And we're so used to having everything go our way according to the metric that we have come up with that God is supposed to and is obligated to meet. God's God. He doesn't bow to your will. And we need to focus on the life giver. Not all of our stuff or all of that which we feel like we don't deserve or the stuff that we feel like we should deserve. It's about focusing on the one who truly satisfies. And that elusive answer that you want is not going to make you feel as better as you think it's going to make you feel. And when you get the answer, if it ever happens, and if that's all you wanted, you missed out on everything else that could have happened because of what you've been through. And we'll wrap it up with this. Find freedom in surrender, not answers. Because that elusive answer may never come. And you will drive yourself crazier than you already are trying to figure it out. But if you surrender to what God has done in your life and learn to love the life you have and focus on the life giver and just surrender, then he will give the peace that only he can give. And it may not even include the answer that you're looking for. God never told Job why. He had 42 chapters to get the job done. And God never told him why. But Job responded, I've heard about you, but now I see you. I think what Job was trying to say is, I had an idea of what you were like. I just, I just had no idea what you were like. And I think when Jesus is really all that you have, you'll find out that he's all you need. And that's not original. It's way too beautiful for me. But that's the truth that we're going after here. And you may never know the why, but you can know the who. And that's what, that's, that's what he's after. Ron Deal said this, God doesn't defend himself. He just defines himself to Job. And he goes on to say this, and somehow in his response, Job's faith is transformed. Suffering had invited Job to see God in a way he had never seen God before. And please listen very carefully to this. Job learned that he could trust God with the things in his life he would never have the privilege to understand. Job was able to trust God for the things in his life that he would never have the privilege to understand. One day our faith will become sight. And we will see God's purposes in all of this stuff. But for now, while we are waiting, before we know, let's trust the Lord that he knows what he's doing in our lives. 
But I want to be very, very careful. And I want you to hear me. There's always a why for your suffering. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't know that. And I'm not saying that, that there is no hope of you finding that. You will. It just may not be when you want it to. But there's always a why to your suffering. And we may never understand it in this life. But we can know as we surrender our questions to the Lord that God will answer us with no less than himself. And then when we get to heaven, pull out your piece of paper and ask away. But until then, trust the Lord and focus on him. Let's pray. It's difficult, Father, to look around a room like this and know some of the stories. And try to help in such a way that doesn't seem glib. Because God, I really would love for your Holy Spirit to heal hearts this morning. That you would use the word of God to change lives and that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and comfort like only he can and that your presence would be enough for us right now and that we would truly learn to love the life that we have until we feel like we have the elusive answer and that you become all that we truly need in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.